Hello and welcome to this series of World Built Environment Forum podcasts, where we explore some of the key issues around the built and natural environment with leading experts. Today's session is brought to you in partnership with uh, ASITE, our lead tech partner. I'm Andrew Knight. I'm the global data and tech lead here at RICS, looking at uh, the impact of data and technology right across the built environment. And I'm really happy today that uh, in today's podcast, we're joined by Fred Klute, Chair of uh, FM and Open BIM and Director of Smart Workplace International. Today, we'll be talking about the role of Open BIM, digital twins and facility management. Why are these technologies so relevant? How are they being used? And what problems are they trying to solve? Welcome, Fred. It's great to have you on this call today. And um, my first question, if I may, is can you start by telling us what is Open BIM? Thank you for inviting me, Andrew. Uh, it has been a while and a great opportunity uh, to connect again. Besides uh, working uh, with the Smart Workplace International, I've recently joined BIM Connected, uh, a group of young people as well, for the next developments. Uh, answering your question, what is Open BIM? Yeah, I always uh, tend to um, direct people asking me for definitions to the official sites and official places where to find those because I've been in uh, standardization with SEN for nine years on facility management. So when I look at the buildingsmart.org website, it says that the Open BIM extends the benefits of BIM by improving the accessibility, usability, management, and sustainability of da digital data in the built asset industry, vendor neutral, collaborative process, and interoperability facilitating. And that's also how I, I got to start uh, with uh, BIM in the first place and later op Open BIM by working with uh, Christopher Hadley at uh, Occupiers Cost, IPD, OPD, a long time ago. But uh, OpenBIM is here to uh, to share across the full uh, ecosystem, the full life cycle of the built environment, all the the data, all the information we can. Thanks, Fred. Well, you, you mentioned that the, the full kind of building life cycle there. Now, I think for many people, probably Building Smart is well known for IFC and its role in BIM, in design and construction. So, so how do you see this role extending into digital twins for the operational phase of buildings? The operational phase, as I tend to call it, facility management, uh, is not just about maintenance. It's also about cleaning, catering, space management, asset maintenance from the client, the user side, like uh, workplace management and all these things. And if we want to do so, we have to be at the table when spaces are designed, when, spa when there's investment in those spaces. Because if we don't do so, we will keep having these handover problems at certain moments in the project uh, delivery. So operational phase really starts when others start designing the operational phase, uh, meaning that facility management uh, uh, information requirements have to be uh, right from the start at the table in order to deliver the best possible design and the, less, the, the best possible uh, building. Great. So, I mean, you know, given that the, you know, the concept of open BIM and indeed digital twins, how are you seeing those helping with things like building back better, you know, the challenges around net zero uh, and a whole host of other issues that obviously the built environment are facing at the moment? 
building better net zero and other challenges are all about collaboration. And like I, I, I think two years ago, I, I found out that the biggest question in all of these things is how do we go from fragmented to federated? Because just like the construction industry, facility management industry is very fragmented as well. And if we want to bring those two together, and if we can bring those together, then we will be able to have a net zero workplace, including built environment. And if we want to renovate, build, build back better, all we need to do is, is to, to share data in order to help each other to build back better. Uh, because building back better means that we include the 30 years of usage of what you build back better. Not just uh, from a real estate perspective, yeah. but also from a user perspective. And digital twins, to, to, to address that topic, that subject, I think uh, what we do with BIM and Open BIM is just a layer making active digital twins possible. Not just digital twins, but active digital twins that will form a, a layer under the metaverse, for example, bringing end users into digital twins, into open BIM. And when we've done that, then we will actually see more and more opportunities rise for net zero and other challenges that organizations in the built environment face. Thanks, Fred. I guess almost sort of scaling that conversation up slightly and thinking about going beyond individual assets, how do you see digital twins and open BIM helping to make our urban spaces more livable at that kind of scale, just not just individual assets? Yeah, the, the urban spaces are not, of course, they are like workplaces. You have a variety of activities and processes taking place in those urban spaces. And it's really like activity-based working, but you could also say activity-based living. Because when you take your children to the city, to the urban space, you're going there to do specific things that you've thought of, to, of doing. Could be relaxing, you need relaxed space. When that information becomes available, like in agendas or like in travel information or like in positioning, GIS information, where you are, where your car is or where your bicycle is, it will allow us to, again, integrate, make that data interoperable with the built environment, with services that are using the built environment. Bringing all that data together will allow for digital twins, not just for built environment digital twins, but also for other objects, other services to be, become digitalized. And then we've got this active digital twins that really will help citizens, workers, people uh, that, uh, that are visiting urban spaces to find their way around, to have more comfort, to find more healthier places in those urban spaces, to actually better connect their needs with the urban space uh, offering uh, facilities uh, and assets. Thanks, Fred. So, I mean, how can individuals and, and, and firms who are listening start engaging on, on this journey with, with open BIM and digital twins? 
It all starts with uh, the information management protocols and requirements. What we do these days is, and that's why we started this project, Facility Management and Open BIM as well, when we as users of the built environment don't know what we want, we are not able in putting that in writing, we don't know what our work processes are, then how can we expect an architect to design a business catering kitchen in a hospital, fitting the menu to make people healthy? So what we need to do is ask companies like Sodexo, who is participating in this project, or like Microsoft, or like others, what do you need? So that's how we, how we engage also. What do you need as a university? If you want an open BIM, if you want a digital twin to work in the operational phase, in the use phase. So individuals and organizations can engage both as an expert, but also as a use case. For example, we have a use case called cleaning of airports. And in that use case, Denver Airport, Amsterdam, Auckland, Vienna, there are very Korean airports. They are participating in there and they are expressing themselves, saying, okay, we are in a reconstruction, in a, in a, in a new phase, uh, building back better this airport. How can we deliver information that can also be used by the cleaning companies, cleaning these huge surfaces, cleaning all the equipment in there, having robots not just sending them out with censoring, but also using robots on the basis of the digital twin, which is directly connected actively, real-time, with occupancy data. We have also used cases on, uh, for example, asset maintenance in hospitals. Very important one is space management for universities, because you can, you can imagine that a, a BIM model can also, because it's virtual, it's digital, can also act as a benchmarking tool. So if we can have a virtual model, a virtual designed model of a, of a building not being physical yet, we can actually measure it using a variety of, of, of standards and see what's best to do, what's best to decide. Not just from a financial perspective, but also from an operational expenditure perspective. So individuals and organizations can engage with us using them as an expert. They can help fund use cases. They can help also fund white papers. And in the end, they will uh, be able to help us getting engaged in writing draft ISO standards. Because that's the real goal of uh, us to help the, uh, the operational phase, the use phase. We're going to deliver three standards to the ISO TC267 for the ISO 41000 of facility management. The first standard will be a facility management information requirement standard, which addresses the information requirements of facility management when developing, creating uh, open BIM or digital twins. The second then will be the facility management information delivery manual or information delivery specification which also includes handover and the third one will be the facility management common data environment 
which is of course the holy grail if we want to have a plat- platform where real interoperability can take place. In fact, Fred, you, you've used the magic word there, data, and, and uh, as you said, uh, interoperability. Now, quite often interoperability can really be quite a big issue with data and, and new technologies. So how's this being addressed particularly, and are there any additional challenges that are, that are coming up in this particular piece around enabling these data sets to be joined together? Yes, the biggest hurdle we have to take is the, um, the business case uh, because the business case is integrated. The business case allows, especially when you talk about open BIM, allows other parties to join in and have a look at the data and come up with better solutions, with integrated solutions. So interoperability can be solved by interoperability doesn't have to be solved, excuse me, but interoperability can can be improved by using uh, standards that allow exchange of data without sharing the ownership, for example. So new technologies, for example, with linked data or RFC uh, can help bring people to the same table but then still again, when you are at the same stable using the same data, there's still the question, do we want the same information? And that's where it gets important. And that's where the business case kicks in. If you have, a, have an owner of real estate or if you have a facility management client, you still need to get into agreement on what's the information that we need. So just collecting data via censoring or via all kinds of smart building technologies doesn't mean that uh, you are adding information. So that's the biggest challenge, how to, how to get from the data to information. Exactly. And I suppose you, you've touched on that point that there are various different data sources here that are going to be producing data, which, as you say, may not actually be information. So you mentioned sensors. What other kind of sources are there of data, and who manages it? And, and how do you how do you get that quality assurance? How do you know you've got data that you can trust? The, that's the data governance question, of course. Every industry has its own data standards. For example, we have a use case called business catering for corporate offices, and we discovered that the business catering equipment industry consists of about 1,500 companies around the globe and they have all worked together to come up with a open BIM parameters and properties uh, list and classifications etc and we are now trying to connect that industry approach for kitchen design to connect it with our Building Smart Data Dictionary, which is, again, an open approach. So you see that you want to have an industry-accepted and and, an endorsed standard, a way of working, and you want to use the Open BIM approach to allow for a common data environment where the kitchen equipment can be connected, made interoperable with the software used by architects designing kitchens. That's just the kitchen industry. Then we have another industry, which is the 
furniture industry. Globally, the furniture industry uses the OFML standard, which is the Office of Furniture Modeling Language. Every, every producer of office furniture, Vitra, uh, Bilkan, Steelcase, they all use that standard. So the industry already has embraced that standard. And that standard is, is owned by an association, a non-profit association. And they've asked companies, software companies, to, to maintain that standard like Eastern Graphics. And they, what they do, they, they've created an IFC output of all the office furniture data. And they've created a Revit plugin for Autodesk plugin. That meaning that the industry already has developed the standards we need to integrate in BIM. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're really looking for not reinventing new wheels, but finding wheels that are already in a specific siloed industry and connected them like a federated model, connecting them to the open BIM approach. So from, from what you describe, if I was a, an asset owner thinking about investing in this kind of technology, I'd simp- I would obviously want assurance that I was going to get accurate, valuable data. And, and what I'm hearing, Fred, is that by knitting together, by joining together the best of breed standards for these various parts of the, of the overall open BIM piece, that's where that assurance will come from. Because you're going to be able to say, well, okay, we're, we're going to choose the relevant standards for those particular lines of business, those particular parts of the uh, of, of the real asset. So it really is a standards message all the way through, isn't it? We've got two checks. We've got, a, for example, uh, which is actually taking place uh, at the moment as we speak, um, Andrea Aiello, he, he's, he's a very smart guy. He's a building smart Italy chapter guy uh, working for, for a long time on this open BIM approach from Akka. He is, he's in the work group that handles the use case for business catering. And he's checked all the, all the work that this group from the business catering equipment has done. So he's checked the parameters, he's checked the data dictionaries from their industry, and he says, okay. And then the whole thing goes to to the side of building smart, where we have another check because we have in our project team, so not in our work group, but in the project team that steers all the use cases, we have a company called Pomplus from Swiss, and Pomplus has developed data governance an approach on data governance. So they again check, does this match with all the, the data governance requirements that we have within the uh, Building Smart International community? And because Building Smart International is a standardization development organization like ISO and SEN, they use this, the same uh, high quality checks for data governance because in the end, the result that we are going to deliver has to go to the ISO level, meaning there are high high quality standards to be addressed here. Thanks, Fred. It leads me on to almost a question sort of above the level of sort of technical standards because we're obviously dealing here with with assets with real people in. And I guess what's always interesting is to consider 
what are the ethical issues here? Because we're going to be dealing with assets where we're going to be tracking a lot of information that potentially is very close to identifying people's movements, their habits, their particular location at a point in time. And you know, things like GDPR only go so far in some respects. They don't really sort of challenge people to think about the ethical considerations of these particularly smart buildings, not only from a, from an operational perspective, but also going back to design as well. So what, what sort of thought processes have you had around the ethical dimensions of, uh, of the pictures you paint of these really intelligent uh, digital twins that will bring lots of value, but as ever might have some inherent risks if we're not careful? Yeah, to be quite honest, we, we haven't really thought about that yet. We haven't addressed the subject yet. If you ask me personally, I would say, well, let, let's focus on assets, on the assets that people use and not on people themselves. And of course, every industry, every sector, every domain has its own ethical rules based on their community culture, varying per country, varying per, per governance model. So from an ethical perspective, if we keep on the positive side, if we try to keep adding value to people, uh, if we try to keep all the data in the hands of the individual for them to, to, like a television, to switch to another channel or put it on and off, then we will be safe, I think. And, And like I said, on our project team, companies like Microsoft is there. There, there are others on board there that are very experienced in, in this particular area. It's good that you mention it, and, and it helps me remember of uh, doing the text again. <laughs> but it, it's not. It's not at the moment. It's not. Uh, not really on the agenda. I understand, and I suppose in a similar way, to some extent, something perhaps easier to kind of put a tangible discussion around it are the risks of. of Security, because clearly, what once one gets these very, very high quality, trusted, comprehensive data sets built, clearly we need to secure that data, both in terms of uh, at the very sharp end on the edge with people potentially hacking into sensors and other kind of devices, but more generally in terms of making sure that that information is held securely, because clearly there'll be some bad actors who will want to to utilize that information, whether it's something as simple as uh, looking at floor plans and working out whether weaknesses might be in physical security to, to, to break and enter. So what, what processes and, and, and once again, I suppose, standards are going to be embedded into this kind of approach to make sure that not only is data well governed and that the ethics are considered, but that actually that security piece is, is very well handled. In our industry, in facility management, this is always a paradox because facility management is, is not like a construction industry or real estate industry. Facility management always is part of a client industry, like security in hospitals is different from security in simple offices or security in public real estate, public organizations, is different from security at uh, at a company like Shell or or even an airport. So we always have to deal with the security rules put upon us by the IT department. So for us, it's much more important to, to address and copy and even maybe paste 
the uh, the requirements that the IT departments puts upon us, not developing our own security considerations on top of that. That that would be uh, could be contradictionary to uh, what our clients want. Thanks, Fred. Well, one final question. I mean, you've you've painted a very uh, optimistic picture of the kind of gains we can make. So, you know, what are the opportunities and challenges to wider adoption of of Open BIM and digital twins? Well, over time, we've discovered two elements which are very huge and have a big impact, um, which are also defined in the goals of our project. The first is that by integrating facility management into the BIM world, it allows for keeping the data up to date. Mm. If we can have uh, the day-to-day operations adjust the, the, the open BIM, the ge- geographical data, the, the asset data, and the digital twin on a day-to-day basis, it means that the real estate information real estate data is up to date. We asked to a surveyor, a valuer, what would be the impact if that data would be up to date. And they told us the real estate value could increase by 2% because of easier due diligence, the, the sales of real estate could be much easier and faster. Isn't very important to uh, to go to blockchain technology, which is already in the in the real estate industry, of course. So, if we could help facility management deliver their data to the virtual real estate model, it could, in the end, mean that digital real estate could have a real value, and <laughs> that's amazing to think about. We see metaverse now. And we already started asking ourselves, okay, what is the value of a digital real estate? Meaning not digital real estate, a copy of a physical one, but actually having a digital digital twin of real estate with its own value. Now, the second benefit of this, this exercise, this project that we are doing, is the same as the construction industry used for many years bringing down failure costs. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it has been uh, researched many years ago that in the facility management phase, the, the exploitation phase, the operation phase, we are always looking for built environment data information and we cannot find it because it's in 2D CAD mm-hmm. on drawings. It's not correct. It's not up to date. Uh, we need to ask many others if we want to know the actual situation and we have to pay them for it. We have outsourced so much that we don't have the data and information ourselves yet anymore. And if we could have a common data environment where we can link into with linked data, get the data, bring back the value in data, it could help us bringing down our costs per workplace by about 15%. Uh, when you know that the cost per workplace might be around eight or 9,000 euro a year, that's a whole lot of money. And it's only about failure costs, about not spending time on searching for drawings, not uh, having to hire the cleaning company or the installation, the maintenance company twice to go somewhere and check 
what the actual situation is. Um, in our NFM, we've got maybe 50 or 60 different facilities and services that all are based on geographical data. And if we don't have that right, it costs a lot of money. So the benefits of doing this is, for example, with uh, a cleaning company making an easier bit by having a BIM model or a business catering company making a better proposal based on, on their menu connected to the BIM model delivering kitchen equipment and a, and a 3D model instead of having an architect designing a kitchen and telling the business caterer you have to do with the space as designed. So we're, what we're trying to do is, and that's the, really the role of facility management, in the, we're trying to integrate. We need to, have to bring the facility management to the front end of the life cycle. Well, that's great, Fred. It's been incredibly illuminating. And I think what, what's particularly impressed me is, that it's, it is the combination of, to one extent, making uh, FM cheaper to deliver, but uh, less expensive, but also improve the experience that, that actually people will have a better experience in the assets that they, they, they work, live and play in. So, you know, because ultimately it's about people enjoying real estate. So thanks again, Fred. Can I say something? Yeah, um, sure. In your country, you've got Adam Matthews. And Adam visited uh, the Netherlands some times ago, and he had really a very interesting presentation, which is still taught about in, in the Netherlands, about the combination of the, the BIM developments, uh, digital twin developments in the construction industry, with the facility management objectives of making patients better, etc. Yeah. Uh, we still remember that. And another thing I wanted to address is that it would be great if we could share a BIM model with RICS surveyors around the world and ask them to calculate the square meters of that BIM model based on their national standard as well as the global standard. Because if we, if we can do that, we can actually see and get a feeling on what BIM can be used for, for benchmarking. And I think that very much fits also the RICS objective to help clients benchmark their real estate portfolio across borders. Indeed, as you say, it, it, it's key to, to have that, as we say in English, that Apple and Apple comparison to make sure that we're talking about the same kind of floor plate and, and you know, as you say, the same equipment and, and also putting into context climate and, and other local factors that means you can, you can do that performance benchmark more accurately. So. Yeah, yeah. But I, I remember James uh, Kavanaugh saying in 2014 that the elephant in the room really is measurement. So if you can measure sustainability across borders based on the same virtual model, wow. Well, let, let, let's hope we can get there, Fred. So thanks once again. Uh, I say very illuminating and uh, it sounds like there's a, a lot of very positive outcomes for, for what you're working on on that open BIM and, and digital twin piece for, for FM. So, yeah, please do join us again for another podcast in the future. Uh, please see the, the website for further details. And you can also listen to any previous podcasts that you may have missed in the series. The World Built Environment Forum Global Summit will be visiting Dubai as part of Expo 2020 Dubai uh, in January 2020. The program will focus on uh, the livable city, agile, healthy and resilient. And please uh, visit the website, ricis.org, WBF, for further details on that program. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. 
where you can receive news of uh, upcoming podcasts as well as recently published articles. Uh, and finally, um, you can download the WebF app from the App Store or Google Play. And there you can get the uh, latest innovative global thought leadership and content right across the built-in natural environment. So uh, thanks again, Fred, and look forward to talking again soon. Thank you for having me. Good luck. Great being here. Thanks. Thanks.